What can I say, Adam? He's just one of the most uh, like respected American authors of the 20th century. Fuck that guy. gentlemen welcome to the film find the greatest movie podcast ever assuming you've never listened to a movie podcast before i'm your host adam portress and i'm back as always with matt smith hey everybody and uh we have a boatload of uh, stuff for you guys today i mean never let it be said that we don't review the crap out of some movies because <laughs> we have uh three new release reviews for you this week we're going to be talking about taken three selma and inherent vice uh three very different movies <laughs> Yes. So uh, and uh, even more varied than that when we get into yeah. our what you've been watching. So we're gonna do a quick what you've been watching. So we got like I said, we have so much bloody stuff to talk about. So uh, we're just gonna gonna do some what you've been watching, and then we're gonna jump into uh, all three of our new release reviews and everything. Uh, so uh, let's start with uh, kind of what you've been watching. Uh, most recently, I just finished up uh, watching Boyhood, Richard Linklater's new movie. Uh, now, I didn't watch the Golden Globes as we're recording this on a Monday night. Last Sunday, they recorded. Um, did did, that, did this win some stuff? I don't. I I didn't look at any of the results today. I was busy at work. <laughs> I don't know what I, happened for anything. I've also been uh, just course prepping, so I don't know who won anything. People other won than, things uh, yesterday, whether or not we know what they know are. The thing I know is Jeffrey Tambor won for Transparent. Okay. And that's because it's plastered all over the fucking internet today <laughs> for, by Amazon. Well, there you go. It's, it is kind of astounding how like these uh, these made-for-streaming things are getting the uh, the awesome... Uh, you know, kind of clout that they are like that yeah. and uh, House of Cards and stuff. Uh, now I haven't seen Transparency. I don't really. I can't comment on that one. But like House of Cards, Orange is the New Black. I mean, these are just as good a quality as that you see on any pay cable you know channel. So uh, it's it's awesome to see that they're being included in this kind of thing. So I thought that was very very cool. Yeah, Transparency's great. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor's awesome. He, like, he's he, great. He totally deserved he this award. I'm glad that uh, he's like getting some recognition finally. Uh, like. Very late in his career, I think a lot of people have known, but like you're right, basically. But a lot of like kind of like pointing him out and just going, "Look, let's honor mm-hmm. this guy and the the great work that he's done uh, in the last what twenty plus years that we've seen him like uh, being the f- fairly big limelight." I'd say, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I watched Boyhood. Um, this is, I mean, it's it's rolling at ninety some odd percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's like it's really, really huge. So a very positive uh, thing. So this is Richard Linklater's kind of big project that he's had over the last twelve years. Is taking all of these actors and um, you know filming bits of their lives over the years for the next twelve years. So it's not a documentary like the Seven Up series or anything like that, but it is an actual narrative. And um, to most recollection, things like this haven't really happened. There've been kind of sequels that take place. You know, mm-hmm. with characters later on, but uh, having one continuous story, um, and and I gotta say, I I really liked Boyhood a lot. Um, I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, Linklater stuff for the most part. Um, uh, this this movie to me felt uh, a lot like Slacker in a weird way, because how Slacker is kind of uh you know life vignettes one after another following people and then kind of like trading off folks as you're going along throughout you know kind of Austin and everything um mm-hmm. this feels kind of like that but with one particular life and family in that same kind of 
vein. Uh, it's very there's very link lettery kind of dialogue in there, and if you dig that, you know, cool. If you don't dig it, yeah, you maybe not. But it, it's not so hard. But I don't know. I, I I liked it, and I didn't think that you know the kind of quote unquote gimmick of seeing you know these people grow up and everything and age would mm-hmm. be a thing. And but to me, it doesn't really. I mean, it's interesting to see them age and stuff, but I like how, for the most part, they don't really call much attention to it. It's usually just a straight cut, and then, you know, there's no, like, little, like, two years later or anything that that comes up. It is just kind of a straightforward narrative that you follow, and to see characters grow and not be played by different actors is very interesting. And to see where the character develops, and I think the title of Boyhood is very apt for this movie because it is like that. I mean, it's... right. It's not your, you know, a big kind of over sweeping narrative about, you know, X subject. It is mm-hmm. just kind of like this is this is how life is, and though you may not be able to cull a lot of your own personal experiences out of this, a lot of it, you know, you I think you can, or at least I could, and I a lot of it just it feels. Uh, it feels real. It feels like you know something that would happen in real life. Doesn't feel like kind of forced movie sort of stuff. And there's some things that are like a little cringy, a little bothery, and a little bit of like you know you almost kind of feel embarrassed for the characters in some senses. And 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 that comes from you know from life and having that experience and and knowing what that situation is like. And so I it to me it really spoke to me, and I, I'm uh, I'm thoroughly glad I enjoyed it. Well, good. Yeah, I've I've been putting off uh, seeing this movie. Although um, my friend Tessa, who uh, does listen to the show, um, recently like shared a download code with me. So hopefully, um, you know, soon I'll have it seen at least for uh, you know completest sake. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think when, amongst when going into the hardcore awards season. Yeah, I, th- I think amongst all those things that, that this is something that really needs to uh, kind of be taken and, and taken seriously and taken a look at because uh, it is it's good, and and there are a lot of and I think amongst the shuffle of kind of junk that we've had in the past couple of weeks, it can be lost because it happened several months ago. Uh, but I think had it come out around this time. Uh, this would probably you'd be hearing about this one a whole heck of a lot more than you would some of the other ones that are that have been coming out, and not necessarily a couple of the ones that we're talking about today because I think we'll we'll talk about those a little bit later. But I think they have like a place within uh, the kind of award season that we'll be talking about. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, what what have you been watching? Well, uh, not a whole lot this week, but uh, I did go and see um, Woman in Black too, or as now, we pronounce I, it in the South, Woman in the Black. Right. W- Worman, Worman in the black. There's a Worman um, in the black. Sorry. Uh, no. So I, I kind of promised last week that we were going to talk about Babadook, but we were talking before the show, and I, I kind of want you to watch this movie, uh, Babadook. So I've been meaning to. Everybody, it everybody says it's really, really good and, and some scary stuff, and then I've heard not so scary. So I want to make up my own mind. Yeah. Um. So, so I think we're going to hold off. We'll chat about that. Uh, I know we've got like a couple of down weeks coming up, so maybe that can go into it. But so uh, anyway, um, apologies, those of you who wanted to hear me babble on about that. But uh, Woman in Black 2 um, starts out uh, actually as a really strong entry in the kind of gothic horror uh, canon. Um, it's got all of the right things, right? There's creepy location atmosphere is appropriately laid on they're out in the middle of nowhere the basic plot is that a um during during uh world war ii 
uh, in the in 1941, a group of school children uh, have to be relocated outside of the city um, so that they're safe, uh, and they go with their teachers out into the countryside and take up residence in this like dilapidated house. Okay, mm-hmm. all the bells and whistles. Things start off just fine. There are some nice little touches at the very beginning of this movie. A little bit of creepiness starts ebbing its way in. And then it turns to shit. Um, <laughs> it's not, I want to say it's not as bad as Ouija. Um, oh, what few, thing, few things are, let's be frank. I mean, that's true. But I mean, specifically with a movie of this type, like there were, it's not, it's not the worst thing uh, that I've seen in this. Put particular that on a box quote, kids. Genre. Not the worst but it's, thing. <laughs> but it's probably like, it's bad toward the end mostly because so much shit starts happening that it just kind of collapses under the weight of not being able to be about any one thing right it's not about um so like traditionally with the gothic ghost story right you have a protagonist uh in this case it's a woman who has haunted by some event that's happened in the past um that uh the ghost the spirit is also uh invoking in them and the new location that they're inhabiting right this dilapidated mansion Mm -hmm. but that the promise of the gothic can never live up to where this movie goes uh because it becomes you know this weird like (sighs) the woman kills all these children uh thing or um it's also about world war ii uh strategies of uh subterfuge right like tricking nazi bombers on some level it's about a kid who lost his family and his attachment to this place so it's just very convoluted it doesn't end up adding up to much uh and it's a waste of some pretty good stuff in the first 30 minutes or so of this movie um i also want to address like it has uh, the cinematography is not bad uh but it is the murkiest cinematography i've seen in quite some time just like lack of definition all over the place Hmm. um and i kind of understand what they're going for because there's like a pervasive um like use of fog throughout the film it takes place out in this like boggy marsh right out in the english countryside um but but it's it's just the definition, the definitional clarity of the image is not there in this movie at all. Um, it doesn't look bad, but it's just like, I like what in the hell <laughs> did they think like this was, I, I, like I said, I know what they were going for. They didn't land it at all. Um, so I'm going to say, give this one a pass. Uh, you know, I won't be as harsh on it just because it's a genre thing. Um, it's not something like big eyes where I told you guys just to pirate that shit. <laughs> um, but you know, like I will go to the dollar you, theater. I wouldn't care it. if you pirated it, but you know, uh, there are those of you who already know what you're in for, uh, like myself, right. Um, who, who watch just horror movies all the time. Um, you know, give it a red box. It's worth like just checking out at some point, uh, red box, download, whatever you want to do. Um, that's, that's it's not a total that... pass, but it's a begrudging, like, give it a watch. There's some interesting stuff in the first 30 minutes or so. That's like when I, when I lived in Orlando on uh, Tuesdays at the second run theater was uh, 75 cents night. 
And that's <laughs> that's what I that that would be a movie that I would go see on 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 seventy five cent night. <laughs> I saw Bad yeah. Boys two for seventy five cents. You talk about the best money you've ever spent in your life. You know that's two and a half hours for seventy five cents. You can't beat that, dog. They're almost two and a half really good hours. Hey, that hey, that movie's really good. <laughs> I I uh, we'll we'll you know it's a bad boy too. We'll talk about that stuff. Where's the bad boys okay. three? Come on, let's make it happen, people. It's right. been on Michael Bay's like I'm gonna, planned I'll get upcoming uh, list on IMDb for fucking ever, so and it just needs to happen. happen already. Because I got to tell you, uh, being being in the theater this long this weekend, I saw that fucking Will Smith focus trailer. Uh, so many times, and that movie looks <laughs> god fucking awful. I'm still gonna uh, see it. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look very good, but I'll still watch it. Yeah, I mean, like I've I've subjected myself to more shit, and hell, we'll probably end up talking about it on here. But uh, but I do have to say that, like, I've seen three separate trailers in the past two weeks for that one movie. I still think like it looks like garbage hmm. first and foremost. But also, what the fuck is that movie about? con man there's a, i get that it's about a con but it's about all i got for, for fuck's sake you know like you figure within three fucking theatrical trailers you'd get a semblance of like something that that movie's about but no it's just and you can't even tell what order any of the things in the trailer take place in right like yeah one wouldn't think they'd be chronological I, I have no fucking idea. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, so, yeah, Bad Boys 3, let's get on that shit. Make it happen. This, whatever this is happening. Uh, <laughs> quit, ma- quit making uh, Scientology movies. Yeah, whatever. let's make this stuff. Yes. Yeah, make make some real garbage, please. <laughs> All right, speaking of garbage, or maybe not, you don't know. Uh, well, so I do. Let's, let's, <laughs> well, they don't know yet. They don't know what our oh, thoughts are. They know are. now. <laughs> let's go ahead and listen to let's uh let's launch into our first new release review of this week here's the trailer for take Thren, as i believe we've decided to call it so hey lenny good to see you me too kim's doing okay yeah seems like the usual kim Lenny. Lenny. Sir, back away now. I didn't do this. Put your hands up now. Wanted for murder. Suspect's name, Brian Mills. 21, he joins the army. At 23, he joins the special forces. He's a trained sniper, an explosives expert. No service record, no discharge record, nothing. This guy right here, he knows how to disappear. Listen carefully, Kim. Something terrible has happened to your mom. Dad, what's going on? Don't trust anyone. Fall down your hands. There are things I've done in my life, and I was always ready to face the consequences to protect my family. What do you know? What I know is soon everyone you love will be dead. What's your first priority here, Inspector? My job is to bring you in. My first priority is to protect the only one I have left. What are you going to do? I'm going to finish this. If you go down this road, the LAPD, the FBI, 
the CIA, they're all gonna come for you. They'll find you, and they'll stop you. That was the trailer for Taken 3, our first of three new release reviews of this week. Uh, it is uh, directed by Olivier Megaton. First of all, talk about a badass name, right? Yeah, I wish those movies lived up to that shit. That is a, that is a, pretty, that is a pretty sweet name. Uh, uh, directed or written by Luke Besson and uh, and uh, Robert uh, Mark Cameron, uh, who do, who they've done all the Taken movies, and uh, yes. you, you guys know who Luke Besson is, or at least if you're listening to this podcast, you better. Uh, here is the uh, <laughs> the IMDb plot line, as it were. Ex-government operative Brian Mills is accused of ruthless murder he never committed or witnessed. As he is tracked and pursued, Mills brings uh, out his uh, particular set of skills to find the true killer and clear his name. Uh, of course, starring Liam Neeson. Uh, Maggie Grace, F- Famke Jansen, uh, and, and this time we add in a little bit of Forrest Whitaker in there as well. So, yeah, so he's in there. He's in there now. Um, so let's <laughs> let's talk about the first. Uh, let's talk about the first two Taken movies first, and uh, kind of get your take on what you thought of them. Hmm? Huh? Hmm? No, okay. never mind. Good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, good but diminishing returns. Okay. I would say, is, is that a general enough thought? That's general enough. I'd I say. so I really liked the first one, mm-hmm. right? And I and I think I was not alone. Uh, I think the box office, Certainly. the weird like, sort of critical praise that movie got, um, just for being what was totally unexpected, which was an enjoyable B movie. Yeah, it was just like Liam Neeson's a fucking badass. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the second one uh, was not. Look, I don't hate any of these movies, mm-hmm. um, but they are they are garbage, right? The second two are garbage. Um, three is is not as good as Taken Two, hmm. but it's but it's not. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's about the same. I don't know. I I honestly don't know, and I don't I don't care about the ranking. I guess, but you know, you know what I mean, though. Like, I I can get that, but I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna go on record. I like Taken Three more than I like Taken Two, uh, basically because for me the biggest thing that makes this that that made this movie more enjoyable for me was uh-huh. it wasn't a take on the exact same thing. Um, yeah. It's, no, it's at I, least different. It's right? at least different enough to where uh, I also it's just like okay, wow, well this is kind of turning into sort of a a spy type movie, a little bit of a who done it and stuff. And it's not mm-hmm. just him torturing the shit out of people. Which don't get me wrong, I mean I like is cool. I mean the first Taken movie it was was really cool, and the second one it kind of just did a little bit more of the same. Um, yeah, I just but this, I just this one wish it, that like uh, I wish they had done something more with this one since they decided to not like continue the direct story line. Right. Um, this one, they're all enjoyable, but this one is bad. Uh, in, in the same exact way. I feel like the second one is bad. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I'm not sitting there. I'm not going to sit here and defend it and say it's good, but uh, it's, it's certainly better than I expected it to be. Uh, I will, I will say that as well. Because uh, I expected because, it to be a lot, like, lot worse than it was. And, like, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I left the theater, and, like, I, I didn't leave in disgust. But I I didn't leave going, oh, my God, it was amazing. But, I like, I did leave just going, okay, I enjoyed that well enough. 
for for a matinee um, viewing with Movie Pass, and I didn't have to pay any money. I'm okay with that. And then, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's not as bad as Woman in Black too. <laughs> Another box quote. Uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, we I could also go with um, if you if you want another poll quote from me, um, uh, significantly better than nonstop, right? Uh, oh, I don't know. I, I like nonstop that. better. Really? I think so. I, don't know. I think that one is like, I don't know. I don't care about. I don't want to talk about nonstop. I almost don't want to talk about Taken 3. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> I feel like it's, how like much I've can we really talk my... about it for the most part, to be frank? It's a lot of action stuff. I mean, I like what little and it's bit... it's not bad action. It's, no. My problem is just, like, uh, increasingly it's run into the transporter problem, which is that uh, the first movie took place largely in a realistic uh, world, and then increasingly over the second and third movies... Uh, like just like Jason Statham in the Transporter movies, another Luc Besson scripted series, right? And one can even uh, argue Die Hard, uh, of which Olivia uh, Megaton also directed. Yeah, he did two in Transporter show. three in uh, um, Columbiana. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, like, like those movies, increasingly Brian Mills becomes like this weird superhero who. Can even though he's sixty fucking two, um, can like take a shot to the fucking chest or the gut uh, with a gun, get back up and just kill some people with his bare hands. Um, you can't do that. He can. Uh, <laughs> I can't do that, and I'm not sixty two. Wow. Um, granted, I'm fat fuck, and there's a difference. Uh, that's, but, the, that's to guard but, all the bullets. The bullets don't hit all the important stuff. But but on top of that, like the. <sighs> There's one thing to have the film be of the pretense that they're in a heightened heightened sense of reality, right? Which is uh, something that the the Expendables movies, for example, do very well, right? Mm-hmm. It's not it, this is not the real world in some way. Taken the Taken films seem to want to take place in the real world and be really gritty in that way, but you've still got Brian Mills doing shit like throwing fucking hand grenades into just random places and like in a fucking school in this one, uh, <laughs> to set off the goddamn smoke, uh, fire alarm, right? Like he fucking sets off a hand. It's a smoke grenade granted, but still he sets off a goddamn hand grenade in yeah. a school at the end of the movie. He looks Forrest Whitaker in the eye and says, are we done? And Forrest Whitaker goes, yeah, we're done and walks the fuck out. <laughs> what universe does he not go to jail still <laughs> for at least for something thro- for throwing a fucking for at least the fucking grenade going <laughs> off in a school. <laughs> like, Look, man, I, I don't know. There's just like moments of ridiculousness uh, in this one that I feel are a lot like um, that. I feel like are are a lot like the the scene in the, I think it's in the second transporter where he flips the car upside down to take the bomb off by hitting it on a fucking crane or whatever the fuck. And uh, I'm just looking at it and I go, what the fuck is this? Like, this is so far removed from the first movie at this well, point. Stylistically, aesthetically, it's just kind of, I don't know, whatever. Uh, I didn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed myself while I was watching yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's also it, like, I'm not, I have the first Taken movie. Yeah. I'm not going to buy the second or the third one. Do I, not give a shit. 
the taken the first taken movie is actually and and, and we'll we'll, we'll kind of end on this so three two two mild enough recommendations if you like the taken movies you're gonna like this one if you don't fucking skip it so I mean that's it's, it's plain and simple I mean it's like yes. Lord of the Rings it's critic proof at this point if you dig it go see it if you don't fuck off and and people went to see it this weekend so you know yeah it did very well right uh, but and, and it's gonna be the like the last. Um, it's going to be the last one of these, so you're not going to like get a Taken Four, really. Like they've said, this is going to be the end, kind of like there were three Transporter movies. Basan's yeah. kind of into that uh, for some reason. He did it with his what was his fucking uh, like um, sprite uh, sprite people animated thing, Arthur and the Invisibles. They made three of those things, right? Something like uh, that. I forget what they're called. Anyway, but yeah. So the first Taken was actually. Um, I didn't go see it in the theater because I, I, I originally pirated it, and I can tell you why. Because I saw the original Taken trailer came out, and then the movie just kind of got shelved for a good while. Yes. And so I was just like, man, what did, whatever happened to that movie that I saw that had that really badass trailer with the moment that we all remember, which is just like, I will find you, I will kill you, and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, where was that? So I just happened to search it up, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to check this out. I watched it, loved it, really thought it was good. And then when the uh, they finally re- released an American version, I was just like... Uh, I was like rated PG thirteen, and I was just like the movie that I watched was not rated PG thirteen by a long shot, uh, and so they they did they cut it down for America to put it out and everything, and I and I hated it, and so that's why like I didn't I didn't watch it in the theater, and so piracy can be a good thing, and so America quit being well, pussies and, the, and, and the put out the R rated cut nice. is the one that they put out on Blu ray. Yeah, they uh, they eventually put it out, and that and that's the one I bought. So I was just like, yes, I want to watch this movie the way that I initially watched it. So. I mean, yeah. it's not like they don't put it out there, but to initially not put it out to begin with, I don't know, bothers me. It's just maybe I'm a little bit prickly that way. But anyways, uh, so I so the next movie I watched um, was uh, th- this was a double feature day for me, and you couldn't get more different from going from one theater for Taken Three and then going into our next film. Here's the trailer for Selma. If it pops up, there we go. He's got supporters. Detroit, New York, Los Angeles, inciting large-scale arrests and sympathy marches. I'm very aware of that, Mr. Hoover. What I do know is he's nonviolent. What I need to know right now, what's Martin Luther King about to do next? Mr. President, Dr. King is here. Mr. President, in the South, there have been thousands of racially motivated murders. We need your help, Dr. King. This thing's just going to have to wait. It cannot wait. You've got one big issue, i got 101. Summer it is. Here is the next great battle. Selma's the place, and they ready. Dr. King! I tell you, that white boy can hit. We will not tolerate agitators attempting to orchestrate a disturbance in this state. It is unacceptable that they use their power to keep us voiceless. Those that have gone before us say no more. People actually say they're going to kill our children. They're trying to get inside of your head. What happens when a man stands up, says enough is enough? We build the path as we can, rock by rock. His cell is probably bugged. <laughs> it probably is. We must march. We must stand up. You march those people into rural Alabama, it's got to be open season. 
That was the trailer for Selma, our new release, our second new release review of this week. Um, <clears throat> Uh, here is the IMDb plotline, a chronicle of Martin Luther King's campaign to secure equal voting rights via an epic march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama in 1965. This, of course, is uh, written by Paul Webb, directed by Ava uh, DuVernay. Is that how you're doing? Do I have you turned up? Well, yeah, yes. Up? There you go. All right. <laughs> uh, starring uh, David. Um, there's a lot of, you know me, I'm not good with names. Uh, David Oleo, sure, Maybe. Carmen Eggio, Tim uh, Roth, um, you help help me with the video. names. I'm going to look that up. It tells you exactly how to pronounce. There's the a name. lot of there's a lot of different names, and I'm horrible with names as it is. Tom Wilkinson, I can do that one. Cuba Gooding Jr., Giovanna Ribisi, Common, uh, Tim Roth, Oprah Winfrey. Um, great cast and everything. I got to say, that's a great trailer. When I first saw that trailer, yes. and and they had the uh, and they were like releasing in January, I got scared for a second because I was just like, oh man, that looked like it was going to be a good movie, but they're releasing it in January, so you know January is usually a dumping ground for crap. Um, but Not it was the first week, though. No, well, see, I mean that—that's when like uh, the award season push in. Well, right? yeah, so ex- exactly. So there was a small, there was a small limited release at the end of the year, and then we bring in you know this one. So it it yes. it, it, it was technically you know released in 2014. It's considered a 2014 movie, but it was released nationwide uh, uh, this past week. And um, so, yeah, a lot of buzz going into this bad boy. This is another one that is uh, super highly rated. Very few critics are uh, saying bad things about it. And of the um, kind of Oscar Beatty sort of films that we've seen in the past couple of weeks, it was nice to see one that kind of actually deserved to be within that mantle, you know? Yeah, I, I was. we were talking before the show, and, um, you know, it's been a few weeks now since we've seen Wild. And... Uh, that was probably the last time that I saw one of these uh, like fall releases, uh, early winter releases uh, that were up for a bunch of awards, likely to win a bunch of awards. Um, I think it did OK at the Golden Globes yesterday. I don't don't quote me on that. Sure. Uh, it won. It won something. Uh, uh, um, I think it was a song, though. So it was nominated a lot, though. Mm-hmm. Um this one was like the only one since wild where I felt like, yeah, this is a good fucking flick. Uh, I like this one. I enjoy it. Um, it had me kind of pumped up coming out of the theater because it it is kind of inspirational. Although, uh, you know what I liked a lot about it though, was something that, uh, the movie's actually been getting a lot of flack for. Um, it's, which was its portrayal of LBJ. Um, so for those of you who haven't been paying attention, there's been some contention, um, as to the accuracy of, uh, how the film portrays Lyndon Baines Johnson, um, the president at the time, uh, of course, and his kind of relationship with Martin Luther King and 
the events that happen in Selma. Mm -hmm. Okay. A lot of people saying like, no, he was actually really uh, good on civil rights. He wanted to do this. And that's all true. Right. Um, The film portrays him that way. I want to say that straight out. It does portray him uh, as somebody who wants to do this stuff, but he feels hamstrung. He feels hamstrung into it because of the methodologies of King. Uh, He also feels hamstrung, uh, by uh, his own time, right? He's a man who, uh, look, Lyndon Baines Johnson was from the South, right? And he was he, old as shit when he, he when was he, old you know, when got he to got be in there. Yeah. Um, for him to be as progressive as he was kind of in, in the 60s <laughs> was a was no, like, it was a kind of a miracle in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um and he really did have a very progressive agenda. And that, and that I want to say that comes through in this film. Uh, and in fact, the only thing that I question about it, um, and it's only because I've read a little bit about uh, LBJ and I, and I know a little bit about the history of MLK. And, Who um, let the dogs out? My, I think my, my girlfriend is now home <laughs> with, uh, with food from the grocery store. And so they're barking their heads off as she comes in. Oh, that happens. Um, anyway, uh, the the film does portray him very even handedly. I feel, even though I do question, and this is something that uh, Andrew Young, who right was a contemporary of of uh, MLK and helped uh, organize the thing in Selma, is portrayed in the film mm-hmm. um, by oh, damn it uh, Andre Holland, and um, what he said is kind of how I feel, which is uh, you know. The only thing that I question in the movie is the contentious nature of the relationship itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, by all accounts, including Andrew Young's um, and some of the other inner circle, uh, LBJ and MLK did not have quite as antagonistic a relationship as they're portrayed to have in this movie, which is no doubt played up to have some sort of dramatic tension. Does LBJ come off a little harsh? Uh, Yeah, I think so. But when you come down to it, like he's a white Southerner who in 1964, like, or 65, passes the fucking like Voting Rights Act, right? Like shoves that shit through Congress. He's, he's tired of dealing with it. He basically like comes down and tells, uh, tells Alabama's governor, uh, that he can shove it. And, um, that's that, right? Uh, so it's like, you know, he, he is kind of antagonistic throughout the movie, but I feel like you come out on his side at the end of things because he's portrayed in such a way that he, you know he's thinking about it and wants to do it. He just has to be persuaded, which is no doubt part of the actual history of this. And, and the thing is, is that, and, 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 it, and it is, like with, with, you know, Washington and stuff, I mean, there is a lot of bureaucratic bullshit that goes along with stuff. And, you know, it's it basically the way that it seemed to me was like you know him just kind of going look Martin uh, we can't just snap our fingers and make this happen there's a whole lot of bullshit that's going on here and this can't happen overnight I w- and it seemed like he would yeah. like to have it have done that way but he's just like it just doesn't really work like that around here and yeah, you know well, he has this great line in there when like during one of their conversations um, where where he just tells him you know like Martin you have one issue I have a hundred. Yeah. Right. And and that line really is kind of that is their relationship. Right. So when you think about kind of the political machinations of what MLK was up against, it's not LBJ. Right. LBJ in this situation was 
mostly up against the same political machinations that MLK was. He felt hamstrung by the time of his presidency and who was in office and what fucking uh, (laughs) Southern governors wanted to do, right? Um, And how that would play more broadly. Whereas MLK could go down and be like, no, this is the deal, right? Um, And... I think it comes off pretty positive, actually. Uh, I don't. I don't understand what the huge uproar with uh, people and and LBJ's portrayal is in here. Uh, honestly, it, like, yeah, it's played up a little bit for dramatic effect, but you know, it's a fucking movie, man. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, like, like, you can't just have because uh, honestly, without that relationship of like the portrayal of MLK up against the system of the United States at the time, which is what LBJ was telling him had to change first. Right. Um, like you have some pretty boring, uh, antagonistic. Yeah. There's no conflict. It just kind of smooth sails outside of the state police and the governor of Alabama wanting to beat the shit out of black people. Yeah. And I mean, I I liked how the movie portrayed a lot of stuff and really gave, you know, it's one of those things that's like, especially like if you didn't know, you know, kind of what went down at the time and what they were actually fighting for. The great scene with uh, Oprah Winfrey uh, mm-hmm. trying to apply to vote and everything and how, you know, the, the ringer that she gets put through. So you realize exactly kind of what's going on. So I like how it didn't. Um, it didn't assume that we knew everything, but didn't either. Ho- didn't also hold our hands and just go like, "This is exactly what this is, and this is that and the other." Uh, yes. So it told us enough without without spoon feeding it to us like we were stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I yeah, really did like that. It's a very smart movie. Uh, very solid screenplay. Great performances all around. Like o- Oprah's not in it a lot, but what um, bit she's in, she is really good she, in. But she's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and uh, so I looked up this Brad Pitt video. It's uh, Oyelowo. Okie dokie. Oyelowo is how you say it. And, All I know uh, is they, they sing that at soccer matches. <laughs> David Oyelowo is amazingly good. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people are rightly saying that and calling attention to it. Um, I do want to also say that uh, if I can get back to this fucking page now. Um that one of the performances I was really impressed with mostly because it's pretty restrained, uh, as for what type of movie this is, uh, the actress playing Coretta Scott King mm-hmm. was very good. Um, Carmen Ijogo is what her name is. Okay. And I think she's British as well. Oh, really? Um, I think so. They sure, they sure hit it pretty um, well. They were pretty darn good. But, uh, but yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like this, movie was one of the rare movies we've seen this year where the performances and the film were good and it wasn't just the performances really yeah it wasn't just the performance or just the actual story itself it had both of those elements in it and i gotta Mm -hmm. say coming from a from a director who and and i'm not you know whatever i'm just kind of giving you a backstory about her but who's mostly done publicity consultant stuff Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and pretty impressive. So she does some short stuff and made in like a doc and everything, but uh, but mostly coming from the world of publicity. And uh, I'd, I'd love to see more stuff from her. And like you know, and it's another thing of like, hey, look, we have not only a female director but a black female director. Yeah, and, and it's fucking good. She directs the hell out of this movie. It's really uh, good. the The direction's great. The cinematography's great. Uh, I thought the movie looked amazing. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely the production the, design. The I, of you know, 
I was uh, listening to an interview with uh, Oyelowo on. Is it? Oh, I can't even remember. It was on. It was on uh, Streets ninety four five here in Atlanta. Um, he was on like the morning show last week, and um, because because you know I'm in Atlanta, I'm not going to not listen to hip hop in the morning. Um, <laughs> Always blazing the most hip hop in our story. Otherwise, it's a bunch of fucking like rednecks and the douche, you know. Um, <laughs> so so I listened to the Streets ninety four five. He was on there and he was talking about uh, how um, John Lewis right who is portrayed in the movie uh he's the like leader of the co-leader of snick and selma right mm -hmm. um goes out on the front lines he's now uh my congressman here in atlanta uh so big whoop to me um how he came on the set because he has a cameo in one of the crowd scenes when they're marching mm -hmm. and uh just said uh walked right up to him while he was in it like full makeup and dressed to like start playing uh, King for the day, right? And just walked up to him and said, Dr. King, it's nice to see you again. Oh. And uh, he said that he just had like tears running down his eyes as, as like uh, he was told this. Um, I don't know. He's, he's fucking good, man. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he becomes MLK, really. I mean, I like watch his performance in here and then watch uh, any of the speeches, uh, any of the like, other footage that you can find and he's he's damn good man he, he looks damn like him too yeah i mean like the the from the look the affectations everything and it's it's one thing to do like an impression of someone but to embody that person and have your entire being kind of take over and be able to do anything that that person could do from you know ordering you know at you know a, a hamburger to giving a speech you have to be able to do both of those things and yeah. uh, he definitely embodies both of those and i gotta say hollywood take note there are a lot of fantastic black actors in this movie. There, you yes. have those actors out there. Go write parts for them that aren't shit. Yeah, go write them. I mean, they're 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 well, out there for the taking, and you have you have great people who can do it. This cast is full of them. Mm -hmm. Fucking yeah, get on well, that. Absolutely full of them. Right. Uh, there was a weird piece. I want to say it was in like the New Yorker or some shit like that. Like. Uh, like a weird online think piece blog post, right? Uh, that was called like the rise of the black actor or mm -hmm. the black British actor in Hollywood. And uh, what struck me about it was like, it was talking about how there was this new phase of uh, just people um, coming out of Britain who were these amazing actors. They were poised to take over. And it made me kind of like a little sad, like uh, because Hollywood doesn't do enough with the acting talent we have in this fucking country. Yeah. Uh, so like to talk about how like there needs like this class, like this specific British theater class of actors, right. That's coming over at this point um, and being hired on, right. The, the post uh, Idris Elba uh, like group. Right. Uh, right. Um, like how they need to be given more jobs. Like they're like in this movie, there are amazing actors who do not get jobs yeah. uh, regularly to portray major characters. And it goes back, like, uh, I just want to say one last thing on this. And it like, cause, because I brought up Idris Elba, mm -hmm. there were some people talking about, uh, you know, being really pissed off that he, his name was in the running for bond or that somebody like uh, Amy, what's her face at Sony had said, right? Yeah. Pascal. Like, Fucking give him Bond, man. 
Who gives a shit? Yeah, he'd be great. He'd when be it, amazing. He Have was you guys another, watched Luther? He was another one where it was just like it was just like when you hear who they are and like if you know their work enough. Yeah. And I, and I think some of the people, I'm going to be frank, I think some of the people that really have the problem, I don't know that they necessarily, and I'm not going to speak for all of them, and I know some of, I know some people are just like, Bond, Bond can't be black, which are, those people are fucking stupid. But yeah. I think the other people, I think, a, I think more majority of that are people don't that don't really know his is. work. Yeah, exactly. They don't know his work. If you know enough of his work, you're just like, dude, that guy could totally be Bond. So, and I would yeah. be behind that decision 100% because it's... It's who he is. Bond isn't doesn't is isn't a race uh, a guy. He's been portrayed by white guys up at this point. But yeah. I mean, I see no reason why he couldn't be a black guy. And that's a smooth black guy who you know can handle himself yeah, and of would do great as Bond. Sort of be British and look good in a fucking tux. Yeah, and you don't even have to you be know? British most of the time. No, but he is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like he is. So at least he's not American. So you guys can stop bitching about that. I mean, because if it was an American guy that was putting on a uh, on a British accent to play Bond, <laughs> you'd bitch about that. So at least he's fucking British. Get off that nut. Come on. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so so yeah, like here's a fucking movie full of black actors. Hollywood, please do something with them. Yeah. Like they're there. Please. They're there, um, and I you know they want work give them something to do. And I, and I will also say like a lot of the people who have bit parts in this movie, right? Like just straight up bit parts, uh, are better actors than a lot of people who have leading roles all over the place, yeah. all over the place. Right. There is no reason that, uh, like Andre Holland should not be in more movies yeah. uh, like like more mainstream movies that aren't that aren't marketed towards niche audiences and and that's what that's what hollywood does with these actors and it's, right it's they, gonna it's not gonna sound it's gonna sound a little movies bad. that they market largely to african-american audiences mm-hmm. and that's great but like white people should be just as comfortable going to see these fucking people act in a movie as they fucking can. And I don't think that Hollywood pushes enough for that. Um, because there's no, there's no reason. Right. And, uh, like Wendell Pierce, for example, right. Who everybody loves as bunk from the wire. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was, uh, I forget his character's name in Treme, but the trombone player, um, like people know Wendell Pierce, put him in some stuff. He's funny. He's very talented actor. Like I want to see him in more stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and and here's the thing. It's not like and it's not like they're all just like gritty character actors too. These are beautiful looking people. You could oh, put yeah. them in major leading role stars and people will go to see them because they're attractive Hollywood people that belong in attractive Hollywood movies. Fucking yeah. put them in that shit, man. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, and and it just seems like Hollywood wants to use this acting pool to do like the the two like big black marketed movies every year. Right. Mm -hmm. There's like, like this year Selma was a big awards push, but I feel like what they really wanted was to push it more towards a niche audience. But you know, like this is the, it's almost like having a repertory theater where they show up in the same like dramatic films every year. (laughs) It's like everybody uh, in this little nexus of actors has roles in 42. Yeah. Everybody in this little nexus of actors has roles in the James Brown biopic. Everyone has roles in the Butler, right? Yeah. They, they show up in specific types of movies that Hollywood kind of shoves them into. And it's uh, total bullshit. And people need to get on board with that because uh, they're yeah. terrific actors, man. And, yeah. and we shouldn't be denied that. Like as much as I fucking love Joaquin Phoenix, I'm really glad that he makes like one movie every two years. Yeah. 
You know, I, like I one big see, movie. Yeah, unlike Johnny Depp, who does 18 bad ones. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> like give, give somebody else a chance to make a bad movie. Yeah, let, yeah, at least, yeah, put somebody else in that. Let them, let them make a bad movie. Let Kevin Hart make a bad movie. Oh, wait, he's doing that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but, um... Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I will say the la- the last little bit. We'll close this up and then get to the, get to the next one because we still got you know yet yet another movie to do. Is uh, is I, I think this is a great thing. As I was uh, sitting there watching the credits roll and everything, as a, as a, you know, kind of look off to the side there as everybody's kind of exiting out. Kind of an older white couple and an older black couple who, who do did not come together, and we're clearly just kind of talking about the movie and about the times that those were in because they lived through those times. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was I thought that was fucking awesome. And I yep. think we need more shit like that going down, you know, because old people are always going to be, are always the ones that, and sometimes rightfully so, but a lot of times are labeled as just racist old fucks. Black folks, white folks, it doesn't matter. They're both yeah, labeled so. as just racist sons of bitches, and some of them are. But I think there's a lot, I think time has really opened up for a lot of people, and I think a lot of people, I mean, even especially older people, have seen the world in a lot different place right now. And God knows, I think we need to give more credit to our fucking planet that we are trying to, I, you know, we we see all the fucking horrible things on television and everything, but I think we're progressing a little bit more than uh, is really reported on on a daily basis. And seeing shit like that just fucking warm my heart. And I'm just like, I'm like, people need to see things like that. Yeah. You know? Well, and I, and I think this movie works, uh, like, beyond just being good and involving, like, it's a good conversation starter, too, I feel like. Like, uh, and, and one thing that, uh, just in summation, that this movie does that I really love is that it's not strictly a biopic of Martin Luther King. Right. It really is a dissection of the events that happen around the Selma Montgomery March in Alabama. And Martin Luther King, by virtue of his having like spearheaded and organized this endeavor, is a central figure. Yeah. But it but it's very much not just like Martin Luther King the movie. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Um, it's not and, a, it's not a, it's not his like, biopic so much as it is, and that's why it's called Selma and not yeah. Martin Luther King Jr. And and I feel like that's something that uh is to be commended. Uh because uh I feel like trying like one of the flaws of biopics really, uh like um, is that they try to very often, uh, unsuccessfully encompass an entire person's life. Yeah. Um, and this one was, uh, kind of highlighting it's not like, this isn't even the civil rights act, right? Yeah. This is like the right to vote a year, like a year later, uh, and just kind of highlighting another significant event in his life that maybe has been overshadowed mm-hmm. by, by time. Um, and, and, and I think by that's, the the enormity of what happened the year before, right? The yeah. Civil Rights Act being passed. No, you're you're absolutely um, right. The fact I think that it, they I think it did some, good. some good work. Yeah. Right? The fact that you focus on one thing and not the other, and I always thought that was kind of a it was interesting thing that Tarantino once said. It's like when he was asked if he would ever direct a, 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 a you know a biopic movie or something, he's just like, I don't think I could ever do that because all of these movies try to encompass an entire thing, and or like even one specific thing in somebody's life. He's like, the only thing that I could think to do, which I thought would be a kind of cool idea, would be uh, just the day bef- like the day that Elvis decides to walk into Sun Records for the first time. What leads up? 
up to him actually walking in. And so, mm-hmm. but like you need pieces like that that are not necessarily about the thing that you know everyone kind of remembers, and about maybe another thing that either is as memorable or something that led to that one thing that we all led you know knew and um, you know. A little less broad strokes. And I yeah. did, I'll say this. I don't agree with him on a lot of stuff because he's one of the more Haiti nerds, but I like him as a comedian. But Mike Lawrence said one of the greatest things because this was put out by Brad Pitt's company, Plan B. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, he didn't. That he thought it was a good movie, but uh, it was weird because Brad Pitt didn't show up at the end and save everybody. <laughs> Which is why one of the things I really yes. hated about 12 Years a Slave was just like, look, a magic white Canadian saved us all. Oh, that's awful. Anyways, all right, we've got... Well, <laughs> speaking of speaking of things that encompass far too much... Oh, my good uh, Lord. Let's get into and it. And everything, literally. <laughs> yeah. So uh, here's going to be the uh, trailer for uh, our last review of this, uh, this week. Here's a trailer for Inherent Vice. If it's a quiet night out at the beach and your ex-old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin. I need your help, Doc. Maybe you should just look the other way. If you're Doc, it may all start to get a little peculiar after that. Michael Z. Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. So wh- where would I uh, find him? He's technically Jewish, but wants to be a Nazi. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks. Do you have a spare picture I could borrow? Ah! Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you're better off with the Nazis. Whoa. Are you all right? Am I? Are you? Ordinarily, we're the ones asking the questions. And your question is, which side am I on? Good question. Wrong answer. Choto, Kinichiro, Dozo, Moto Penekeku, Moto Penekeku, Moto Penekeku, Hai, Hai, Hai. Doc may not be a do-gooder, but he's done good. Good luck, Doc. Christmas. That was the trailer for our last new release review of this week in Heron Vice, uh, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, based on the book by Thomas Pynchon. Is that how you pronounce it? Pynchon. Pynchon? Good enough. Just good Pynchon. Enough. He's yeah. fucking Midwestern. That he works in there. Okay, that's a good point. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck he's from. I all I know he's a, he's he's has appeared a couple of times on The Simpsons with a bag over his head. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's as that's as far as I know him from is from cameos on a cartoon program. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's uh, what can I say, Adam? He's just one of the most uh, like respected American authors of the 20th century. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've uh, only ever read one. 
book of his. I, I, not inherent vice. Yeah, so. I, I hear it's a little scattered. So this is uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Josh Brolin, Owen Wilson, uh, Catherine Waterston. Uh, there, there's just so many people. Eric Roberts. Uh, who, who else? Uh, Benicio Joanna del Toro. Newsome. Yeah, there's just there's so many people in this. Um, but uh, here is the IMDb plot line, as it were. Uh, in 1970, drug-fueled Los Angeles detective Larry Doc Spartello investigates the disappearance of a former girlfriend. That's about as simple as you can get it in a uh, movie who's um, quite complicated. <laughs> yes. Uh, so for, for those of you who have no idea what to expect, uh, so Thomas Pynchon is a novelist who, uh, even though I've only read, I know his stuff, I know what he's about, right? He's, he's kind of this, uh, like ultra postmodernist um experimentalist right with with writing novels and i i haven't read inherent vice but a friend of mine described it as uh sort of like uh like raymond chandler on acid okay um, uh, yeah that's about I can where see that. where like uh just plot lines keep accumulating and very little is actually resolved uh and that's kind of the point um, and that's pretty much what you get in the movie. Yeah. Is that a fair assessment? It's, it, it's kind of like doc gets one piece of information and it leads him this way. As he's following that, he gets another strand that gets going. Um, they all have to do with his ex old lady, uh, Shasta Fay. Mm-hmm. Um, the names in this movie are fucking fantastic <laughs> as well. Uh, those are all like, uh, straight up uh, literature, like Robert Pensioning names too. Um, and but, the name uh, of his, <laughs> Like you know, Doc is a stoner private investigator who works out um, of a doctor's office. Who works out of a doctor's <laughs> office? Um, but you know, it's uh, is they all of these threads have something to do with his ex old lady Shasta Fay. Um, at the very end of the movie, you get the sense that maybe not everything has been resolved, but that's kind of not the point. What I got out of this movie uh, really was kind of this investigation leads to a sort of disillusionment with where society is heading after the 1960s, right? So, mm-hmm. like, the downfall of the promise of the sexual revolution of experimental drugs. This was the time, right? Uh, when people were still doing drugs in the late sixties, uh, that were supposed to be mind expanding, right? Uh, pot and acid, uh, and LSD as opposed to, um, like the darker drugs that came in the eighties, right? The cocaine, the heroin. Um, and, and so it's kind of like, uh, you just discover all of this awful shit that, uh, America is really starting to turn into. Um, a lot of it has to do with the FBI and the police state and the pushback against the hippie movement by, uh, the right wing, um, of which like, uh, Christian Bigfoot Bjornson, the police detective, is just one example, right? Right, and at the um, same time, there, uh, his kind of inability to almost go against that. It's like it's still kind of like what's left of that old guard, but at this particular point in time, has kind of almost 
almost faded away and really been kind of taken over by the hippies uh, to a degree, but at the same time is still kind of ruthlessly, you know, almost figurative and literally, or, or, or literally and figuratively have like, you know, a foot on the neck of, you know, the kind of the hippie movement mm-hmm. at the yeah. same time. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a hard movie to talk about. Uh, yeah, plot wise, because because <laughs> it is just it is everything. It's, it's constant new information. Uh, there are moments when, like, you get a piece of concrete information slipped into one line of dialogue that has largely been like nonsense in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, that's all straight out of the novel. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all uh, that that's the truth, right? Yeah. Especially if what he's doing is taking Raymond Chandler and making it on acid and kind of in, like bringing in all kinds of other influences too. Um, and so uh, I don't know what what did you think overall, Adam? I, I gotta say. Um... <clears throat> Now, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was on uh, Mark Maron's podcast, uh, WTF, recently, and um, I felt with this movie about what what Mark kind of says about a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. Um, but though, 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 strangely enough, I don't feel that about his other movies. But this one, I did. Is that I got to watch that again because, especially mm-hmm. with this one, there's so much information that comes through. Um, there's so much to digest. Uh, it, it's a it's a long it's a longer movie for sure. Um, but it's, um, it's good. I enjoyed it, but I really, I I can't sit here at this particular point, having only one viewing under my belt to tell you that I loved it. Uh, I liked it, but to tell you that I loved it, I think I need to, I need to revisit. I think this is a movie that needs to kind of grow. I think this movie needs to be one that is kind of like, um, what's been coined is kind of like the hangout type movie where you're just going and, you know, palling around with these characters for a while and mm-hmm. just kind of getting to be in that air, that space, that area, and because there's so much to do. And really it's, there's so much on your plate at one time. You want to get a piece of everything, but it's really tough to do that and be completely satisfied as for a meal as a whole, when you have a thousand entrees at your foot, you know, um, yes. So I, I I enjoyed it. I mean I love the style of it, um, the the kind of film noir aspects of it for sure. In the in you know the late sixties early seventies, I really kind of dug that vibe. Um, uh, the dialogue, the fast dialogue in between the two, the setups on everything, and you know we, it's funny we keep having this argument a couple weeks after weeks, but I'm telling you, film looks different. These movies, these last two films were I can't tell you, I don't know about someone, but I know this was shot on film and it looks yeah. like it, and uh, it's. It's it looks great. I I like all the uh, performances in it, but I gotta I gotta go at this thing for another round to give you a hundred percent what at least one more round what my thoughts on it were. But um, I I did like it, but I don't know that I love it yet. But I have to I have to get that. You know what I mean? Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot going on, um, in this movie. Uh, that just by virtue of its nature, you have to like rewatch. And I think it will reward reviewing. Um, I was reading actually a really great piece on the New York times blog today. It was kind of the first thing that I read when I woke up. Um, uh, I, I don't really care much for the New York times, even though I'm a like dirty hippie lib paper of record, Um, (laughs) but, uh, like their art section still, I like a lot. Um, 
but anyway, there was this great blog post, and and one of the references that it made, uh, specifically talking about this movie's kind of over the top grotesque comedy uh, and the color, the the saturation of color in this movie, because there are moments when it's very bright and very glitzy in a way that you don't necessarily expect, like a dark uh, film noir detective story to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of uh, emulating the Martin and Lewis, Frank Tashlin directed uh, comedies from the 50s um, and and 60s. And I think that that was a very astute observation. Uh, I I have to go back and watch it with an eye for that stuff because uh, because I think I think that's there. And, and, you know, P.T. Anderson is a guy who knows cinema history. Right. Yeah. Uh, I would argue he probably knows more what to do with cinema history than uh, even a contemporary and good friend of his like Quentin Tarantino does. Um, but uh, I don't know. I need to go back and watch it. I think I think it's going to reward me to go back and look at it. I actually think uh, it's great. Um, I think we're witnessing a, a filmmaker who in the past three movies has really turned into – uh, like a full-fledged artist. Uh, I know a lot of people were down on the master, but, uh, you know, I have to say, when I walked out of the master, I was a little down on it. Um, but I've watched the movie a couple times on Blu-ray since then, and even though the picture does not have the enormity of being projected, yeah, uh, that movie blows me the fuck away now. Um, I think what, like that, and there will be blood, he's on to something where he's kind of taking moments of U.S. history mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of polishing them down into like a nugget, a character study of some sort, right? A, but the character isn't so much just like Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Blood or the Joaquin Phoenix uh, master relationship in The Master. Um, it's much more, I feel like, about like, this is the 1800s America. Yes, right? I say it's, it's America. This is the yeah. 1950s uh, America, right? A yeah. lot. Of, he's dealing with cultural anxieties, with anxieties that have constantly um, pushed up against uh, pro- progressive ideals in their respective eras, right? Um, and I feel like that's kind of what he's working at. I, and I got to say, man, he is a filmmaker of some amazing power. Uh, and and to, to see him go from a movie like There Will Be Blood and, and The Master and then make something that also is so, while yes, it's kind of epic in scope, but really it's boiled down. Like the, the thing that makes it epic is that the investigation leads Doc literally everywhere that it could lead him, right? <laughs> Um, it's and yet not, nowhere at it's the not same this time. <laughs> massive years long thing. Um, but to see him go and like be able to pull off yet another like epic style, but with these moments of just ridiculously absurd comedy and to do that so deftly, which is something that he did very well in Boogie Nights, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, man, he's fucking good. And that's I, ju- I just have to say that he's fucking good. when you really look at his body of work. Um, the the differences between all of the films are strikingly dramatic. I mean, they're all very, very different films. You don't look at them and just go, well, this movie kind of seems like this movie. I mean, about the closest you can maybe do is maybe 
to a smallish degree, maybe you can give a little Magnolia Boogie Nights kind of, uh, you know, difference between the two of yeah, those. a little bit. But by I and large, they're so very different types mm-hmm. of movies, uh, both with their feel, scope, and just it just and, and just the overall just you know, like I said, just feeling of it really. Yeah. Well, and, and I, honestly, I like. Uh, a friend of mine was talking about how he he thinks this might be what he calls minor P.T. Anderson, right? I mean, um, yeah, look. I, 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 think, I think there's only one movie that even remotely qualifies for what might cons- be considered a minor work from this director. And it is Magnolia, the one that like people seem to hmm. have the most familiarity with and like the most, right? Um, I think that one is the one that's just okay. Really? The rest of them... Yeah, I mean, like, Heart Eight is pretty amazing. Boogie Nights is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I think There Will Be Blood and The Master are just masterpieces. And this one, just in the day since I've seen it, just in the 24 hours since I walked out of the theater, has grown on me faster than even my own thoughts on The Master started to expand. Hmm. Um I, I don't know, man. I, I love it. He might be the best living American male director in the very least. Okay. See, I mean, like I like the master had me from from go. Um, I really I mean, I got everything that he was doing in there, the everything from I mean, just the performances, cinematography, everything mm-hmm. in that movie. I mean, just Joaquin Phoenix's transformation as as a human being and really almost unrecognizable and not only just the weight he lost, but the way he carries himself, the speech patterns, everything was so very much changed in that. I mean, you could see it's still him, but yet at the same time, so very different. Um, for me, the minor work has got to be punch drunk love. I mean, that's to me, that's I mean, maybe, the, but, that's I, the but minor I think work, even then, opinion. like, like punch drunk love is still like it's toned down and it's a very specific thing, but I think it's handled so masterfully for what it is. Right, which is uh, like this comedic romance. Um, I don't know, man. There's something I think that's kind of brilliant about that movie uh, that that is sorely lacking in Magnolia. It's right? it's the, been a while. I I gotta I gotta watch Punch Drunk Love again. But like when I saw it, I mean, I just I did not care for it. I mean, it's a it's it's a study of a particular thing. It's it's doesn't have the same focus or what some might say is a lack thereof uh of his other movies but it's i mean it's a very dialed in singular thing it's like it's like Um, i like there was so much of it that i kind of like what he was doing with it but ultimately at the end just i mean if it was the goal you know aces but it left me feeling hollow and just like nothing at the end. And that's just that, that was kind of, I guess that was maybe my biggest letdown. It was just like at the end, it felt, I, I just didn't feel like I gained anything from having had watched it. Yeah. I mean, I could see that, but I, but I think oddly enough, bringing up the Tashlin connection again, the Frank Tashlin, Martin and Lewis connection. Uh, I think that there are odd similarities with that, with punch drunk love and some of the stuff that crops up in inherent vice. I mean, I could see that. And I'm going to leave it there because I I don't want to like push too hard on that without having both seen this one again, as well as having watched punch drunk love maybe in the past 12 months or so. Cause I, I tend to watch all of his stuff like once a year. Um, 
but I don't want to push too hard on that connection, but I think it's there, right? The use of color, the very specific types of comedy that are employed, um, the grotesquery of it. Uh, I, I found know. this. I, I found there. this movie to be far funnier than most most of his most of his work, and 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 I'm oh, just yeah. saying there's a lot and there's a lot of good funny stuff within the things that he does, even you know the stuff that's kind of you know more of the of the darker uh, kind of uh, neck of the woods, uh, still still very very funny, and I think uh, um, maybe not a lot of people will point that out initially. No, I don't think. Uh, I think for a lot of the just general audience, this movie isn't going to play. Oh, people walked out. I literally saw walkouts during this film. There were literally walkouts. Well, I don't think I saw anybody walk out, but um... there was at least at least there was a couple, and there like literally a couple, like a, a kind of a. I don't want to say they're older, maybe in their like you know sixties ish somewhere in that neighborhood, they walked out about maybe 20-ish plus minutes through, and then there was at least another two or three walkouts. But people did walk out of this film, so this is going to be divisive. Like, you will either yeah, I th- you I will either probably dig this right, or you're going right? to hate but it, it, man. But it's, uh, I think it's the same. I think it'll be divisive in a lot of the same ways that The Master was. Uh, not critically, because critics tend to not like this one as much uh, from what I can see online, right, in the reviews that I've looked at. The Master's such a performance, um, though, really. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, but I'm saying, like, the critics are down on this movie too, but I think along the lines of the audience, the general audience, I think you'll see the same kind of divide where there's an audience that wants to watch this because they're in for it. There's another type that like will walk in because they thought they were going to get something that's just not what this movie is. Yeah. dude, It's like, if PTA is not your bag, um, this ain't one, this definitely ain't the one to jump in on. Or if you're just no, like, I mean, or if you're like have dabbled in like maybe like a boogie nights or something before, and you're just like, how oh, maybe I'll see what other this you know what what other this guy to see his other works because they're far yeah. more accessible than this. Well, and I and I feel like specifically walking into this movie without maybe having seen There Will Be Blood or The Master, uh, you will be completely thrown off by the feel of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But because it's it, like. As different as it is from those movies, the the feel of the film, the pacing, the like the way the the movie unfolds, right? The editing, everything um, is, I think, influenced directly by his previous two movies. And so uh, I feel like there are probably a lot of people who would like the trailer for this movie would appeal to a lot of people that the move those trailers would not have appealed to. Yeah, I don't know though. Like, I mean, I, I I remember seeing the trailer many times in theaters, and like, I mean, I've literally heard people exclaim out loud after seeing the trailers, like, "What the fuck was that?" And I, you know, and uh, yeah. that would be their same reaction if they went to go see this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think that's certainly true. Uh, there's no way around that. Uh, people uh, who, I don't know, I, th- you know, we ran into this issue uh, when I was uh, working at the movie theater. We ran into this issue with with there will be blood. Mm-hmm. Where people would uh, like come and see it, and they go, "Oh, that movie wasn't anything like what the trailer said it was going to be." Can I have my money back? <laughs> people would ask me that, like after the movie. They're yeah, like, after. no, the ending sucked. Like, what are you talking about? It's called that's the gamble you play every time you plunk down money for a ticket, bro. It well, may yeah, not be I mean, what you wanted you it to a, be. You would be astounded at how many times I had to explain that to people. Like, you do realize that you paid the money to watch the movie, not be entertained not by to it. like it yeah like <laughs> there's no hundred percent money back guarantee that you're going to then, enjoy what right, you're gonna there see was still like when i was working there like blockbuster was still a thing right and so i'd have to literally just tell them like do you go back 
when you take your movie back to Blockbuster, if you didn't like it and say, I didn't like this, give me my money back. And they'd go, no. And I go, same diff. We'll see. We do what Blockbuster does, except it's a movie theater. <laughs> like you're paying us to watch it. Huh? You're not paying us to like it. That would be the worst business model in it, in, in existence. <laughs> if we paid, if you paid us to like everything that you watched and the criteria for getting your money back every time you walked out of the theater was coming up to the guest services station and saying, uh, I didn't like it. Well, yeah. why would we ever make money? <laughs> because oh. there's no proof. Like, I one, I don't care that you didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> and two, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Literally, what are you talking about? Uh, so that's, anyway, that's too so, good. I'd so say it's two know. pretty good recommendations for us. <laughs> Let's close it out. I want to close it out by giving kind of a, a like a little tangential story that's kind of related to that. That was kind of cool. Okay. Uh, so William Castle uh, was kind of known as just sort of a a B level kind of schlockster, do whatever it can to get people into theaters and stuff. And so he had a movie. I forget which movie it is off the top of my head, but. Um, so about halfway through the movie, maybe a little bit more than halfway through the movie, there's a big thing that comes up that says, hey, if, you know, the next part is going to be ridiculously scary, so, uh, you know, you can leave now and get your money back. And uh, you'd be shocked at how many people just ended up leaving and getting their money back, but then would come to see the next show and do the exact same thing again. They'd go back in and they, they'd get to that point and they'd go watch it again. So in order to have them not you know, keep paying this money back out, they said, okay, we got that for you. But what you're going to have to do is if you leave, you have to wait till the movie's over and you have to stand over here in loser corner. So there was like big giant signs that go in. These are the wusses that walked out early. <laughs> Look at them. And everyone that leaves the theater has to walk by and see you and, and see that, you know, the shame upon your face for having left the movie. And no one did it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And people just kind of kept, they well, watched the whole thing. It's just so, like, just a marketing genius kind of thing. I don't so know. I was kind of done. That was uh, homicidal. Was that what the name? I forget what it was. Yeah. I'd, seen the, I'd, I'd seen the thing about it a while back, but I'd forgotten um, what movie it was. Yeah. But that's a very well, cool would, idea. He would also issue, um, just just because, like, I know this because uh, my friend uh, Alex, like, he wrote his, uh, his master's thesis while, like, in my, my Emory class. Um, he wrote his master's thesis on William Castle, nice. kind of gimmick cinema. Um, but part of this also was uh, before you got to um, to Coward's Corner, uh, you had to pass a nurse who would offer a blood pressure test. <laughs> and then uh, also while you were there, um, you would get handed, uh, you would uh, be forced to like sign a, a yellow card st stating that you were a coward. And they gave you like a, a money back guarantee fright certificate that was like printed with four cowards only on it. Yeah. You uh, made, it made you feel like a real <laughs> schmuck if you left that theater. Yeah. And this is the same guy yeah. that would sell like, you know, life insurance, like give out life insurance policies, oh, like yeah. literally buy from Lloyd's of London, you know, guaranteeing your life. You know, if you die during this, your your people mm -hmm. will be uh, will be given money. <laughs> yes. So uh, well, Castle was great. And, you know, and he was brilliant with that. Uh John Waters talks about one of the one of the best uh, gimmicks ever was like he he went to go see Castle's film um, The Tingler. Oh right? yeah 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 that's great. Which, which had buzzers under the seats uh, randomly. Uh, they would outfit theater seats with with like electronic buzzers that would go off at certain points in the movie. When there's a moment in the film where like the the 
film goes completely black. All the lights are cut out in the film and the tinglers lose, right? You just hear, and then random people are all screaming in the theater and everybody goes berserk. Oh, it's so great. Well, John Waters tells this uh, story like, um, because he saw that movie so many times in the, in his theater in Baltimore, right. When he was growing up, um, that, uh, he, he, he would go through, uh, whenever he would find that the film was about to leave, he he would just end up going through and seeing the movie dozens of times, uh, and go and like actually look for the buzzers under the seats yeah, so that he could experience it every time. And like, fi- he's like, finally, by the time that the film left, there were like, one, there was like one working buzzer uh, <laughs> <laughs> left in the theater. Cause they were all cheap. Right. But well, yeah, uh, he said that was like the greatest film going experience of his life. Really John Waters. <laughs> Why don't we have more crap like that? We just need, I mean, that's going to be the next step in, in cinema right now. I'm telling you, that's going to be the new thing. Something's going to happen to where, be. <laughs> to where we just have something where, yeah, a big giant skeleton just gets flown like over the theater audience as things are going on. Uh, that's funny. People you know, another, another great castle gimmick uh, was uh, for uh, this movie, Mr. Sardonicus. He um, basically allowed uh, the audience the opportunity to kind of decide what was going to happen to the to the bad guy, Mr. Sardonicus. Um, oh, yeah. And uh they could vote yes or no, right? Depending on if they wanted him to live or not. The uh, total sham. Because uh, no, there was no choice. You only he was only yeah. ever going to well, die. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, he. It's uh, so great. Yeah, the, the, people don't even believe that the mercy ending was ever there, right? Yeah, <laughs> that, that was never filmed. <laughs> so, There's yeah, nothing. Not. It's just like you got a choice of whether he lives or dies. So Everybody's so cruel. <laughs> so great. All right. Well, uh, I just. That's our William Castle moment for this week, everybody. <laughs> Who knew that this is where it would go? But so, yeah, so we got, uh, so Taken 3, we're kind of a meh. The Selma, definitely go out and uh, check that out. Inherent Vice, you may need to see it two or three times uh, to really kind of get get a grab on it. But uh, I think we both uh, came out with very positive reviews for uh, those last two, for sure. Yeah, I think so. And uh, next week we'll be doing American Sniper. Yep, American Sniper. I'm probably going to see a couple other flicks in there. Uh, you know, who knows? But at least at least American Sniper will be on that. Uh, that first trailer that came out was like, oh, my gosh, I really like that a whole bunch. So I'm excited for this thing. And uh, Bradley Cooper looks pretty cool. Like he's like gained a lot of weight. And I'm telling you, I'm... I'm more and more starting to get kind of on the Bradley Cooper train. Uh, I was never fully on it. Uh, Silver Lines didn't much care for, uh, but like what he did, and it sounds so fucking stupid, but like with what he did with like Rocket Raccoon, I thought was like great, you know, for only being kind of a voice and, you know, a little bit of a model for the face for when they were, you know, kind of doing reactions and stuff like that. Uh, I thought it was just fantastic. It's like you wouldn't know it was him unless you really knew. Um, so he's like, the more stuff he's doing, the more he kind of grows on me a little bit. So I'm starting to get on that train. And I think this movie may be the one that really kind of puts it over the uh, top here for me. Um, but so we'll definitely be talking about that next week, but until then, Matt, where can we find more of your work on the interwebs? Uh, just go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Boyd underscore Smith. And, uh, you know, I'll point you to some things when they happen. 
Yeah. And of course, you can always follow this show at The Film Find on the tweets. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Film Find. You can find all the links to uh, like this show and uh, follow us and all that kind of good stuff up on thefilmfind.com. So definitely go and check that out. Um, also, listen to my other podcast, Hero Movie Podcast at heromoviepodcast.com. Uh, this week, we're reviewing Steel with the uh, 1997 movie with Shaquille O'Neal. It's a giant turd, but we have a lot of fun with it. Um, and then, you know, uh, we're doing all that kind of stuff. So, uh, really kicking over there. So, uh, and of course, follow me on Twitter at Adam Portress as well. All of the links for everything that we do are up on thefilmfind.com. All right, everybody, that is it. We will see you back here next week for only at least just one release. <laughs> Maybe more, who knows? All dependent, but at least American Sniper next week. So, uh, stay tuned for that, everybody. Keep subscribed. Thank you for, uh, you know, hanging with us and everything and while we get back in the groove. And we really appreciate that. And, uh, uh, if you're uh, so inclined, throw us a review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. We'll read it on the show here because, you know, we, uh, you know, we're, we're finally giving you some stuff. Give us a little love. Oh, and I don't want to say this. I totally forgot. I want to say this at the beginning of the show. Um, the film Find uh, is, is as of this recording, three years old. Yeah. I mean, it's now, granted, we've nuts. only really done a show for about maybe a year and a half of those three years, but... <laughs> But uh, yeah, three years, it's it's kind of been around. So, uh, But uh, we're definitely back in the groove now, and uh, we appreciate you guys uh, sticking on board and uh, jumping back in here with us. And we you know, want to keep bringing you all these uh, new release reviews and stuff, and we'll, uh, in the next couple of months, delve into some other uh, cool things like that, too. So stay tuned, stay subscribed. We appreciate all that. All right, everybody. So until next week, for Matt Smith, I'm Adam Portress. Take it easy, everybody. So I go into um, into Walmart there to buy uh, Boyhood on Blu-ray, uh-huh. and uh, so I get to the counter, and uh, she beep rings it up. It's an R-rated movie, and she goes, "Can I see your ID?" And I'm like, "Are are, are you kidding me right now?" And I'm like. Yeah, I'm I'm a couple, you know, I'm literally weeks away from being 33 years old. Yes, here is my ID. She looked at it like, holy shit. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fucking old. I've got a couple of gray hairs up here. There's no more hope in my eyes. I'm over 17 fucking years old. And what 17-year-old kid just goes, oh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go buy the movie about, you know, a, a, a young boy's uh, travel into adulthood. <laughs> what? Well, you know, that's like uh, when um, when I was working at the theater, uh, Sideways came out. <laughs> and uh, I would fucking let anybody in to see that movie. Yeah. It's like, just like, <laughs> who's going to be fucked up over Sideways? Go yeah, see well, it. Well, and it was, it was like my manager at some point was like, why are you letting those kids in to go see Sideways? And I was like, well, 
Because they had taste not to go see this fucking yeah. shitty Larry the Cable Guy, whatever the fuck. It's, yeah, it's like, look, if you have enough taste to go see something that's good, like if a 13-year-old kid came up to me and said, you know, I want to go see, you know, uh, whatever. If he said, I want to go see Inherent Vice, yeah, go let him. Yeah. He's going to see some boobs. He's going to see some drug use and cursing and stuff. But you know what? He probably knows about all that stuff. He's got the internet at home. For Christ's sakes, the world is a completely different place now. Uh, so that stuff's out there. So there's nothing that he's going to see in here that he can't see a thousand times worse on the internet. And if he's got the, you know, the gumption to just go, I want to see a PTA movie, fucking let him do it, bro. Yeah. Let him do it. Roll in there. Who cares? Like, oh, no, it's got a couple of bad words in it, and there's boobs. Oh, I can't do that. No, fuck that noise. Fuck that noise. Let them do whatever they want. I mean, that's what that's what I was just like. I always thought like if I was like an owner of a gas station or something and a young kid came up and just like plopped a Playboy on the counter or something, I'd be like, you got enough balls to bring that up here. Boom. Take it. Yeah. I will sell you this because you had the nerve to do it. Because most kids wouldn't. Most kids think about like, I'll go up there. I'll do this. <laughs> I won't really do it. I won't really do it. But if you got the balls to do it, there, there's you go. There, there's your thing. You had the nerve to walk up here and do it. Who do I, what do I care? Yeah. But I'm buying Boyhood on Blu-ray. Why the fuck am I getting carded? I'm an adult. <laughs> like, seriously, how old do you think? I should have played the game. It's just like made her become a carnival barker. How old do you think I am? <laughs> have, I, have I ever told you about the time that uh, the grocery store checkout teenager uh, <laughs> insisted that I had to produce my ID to buy root beer? To buy root beer? Are you kidding yeah. me? No. <laughs> <laughs> and and I refused to take it out. She's like, you could just buy it if you would pull out your ID. I was like, I don't need it. It's soda. She's like, no, it's beer. She's like, <laughs> it is soda. And I was like, I'll stand here until your manager comes over. And oh like, there was gosh. this line of people, and <laughs> they were like, just like you, just ring him up. And she was like, I can't. And the cashier behind her just goes, she goes, uh. It's like Coke. Ring it the fuck up. <laughs> She's like, it's not beer. And all I could think was like, fuck never having it. Who's never heard of fucking root beer? <laughs> yeah, like just... I was buying IBC, right? So like, it, you know, it was in a six pack and glass bottles and all that shit. But still, like, who's never fucking heard of root beer? <laughs> this old man is, he's getting drunk off of this stuff. <laughs> Jesus getting, He's getting drunk off of uh, cream soda over here. Uh... What the fuck's going on? It's not increase. It's got to be root beer because the word beer is. Oh no! But here's the thing, though, dude. It's like you ring the thing up. If it doesn't come up with an age thing, guess what? It doesn't yeah. have alcohol in it, homie. Move on. Uh, Geniuses. That's the, that's the level of uh, education the world is uh, coming to today. Yeah. 